0: Thank you for joining U-Choice Radio with the Whatever Podcast, Beats, Gordy, Silo. We have two special guests today. We have Tony Michelle, author of The Money is the Motive book series, and comedian Jeff Brown. He is most known for Field of the Future, The Fix, D.L. Hughley's Uncut, and so much more even played on an episode of Girlfriends. So thank you for tuning in. Let's get it. Brother, Brother Jeff.
1: Oh
0: shit. What's up? Oh, man? Yeah, all right. How are you, brother? I'm doing all right. My uh mother co-star and Drake not here today, but we got my uh co-star, my man Silo. All right.
2: sir, How you doing? Black man, black man. Yes, there? sir, You're yes, sir. Back? All good, all good. How you yes doing? Okay.
0: Your volume's a little low.
1: I'm low. How's that? Yeah. How's that? You know what, bro? Okay. I don't know. Y'all might be a little young for this. Uh when uh this used to be the thing back in the day when BCRs was hot. I'm gonna go way back like that. BCRs was the shit. The thing to do was get your your parents or your grandparents a BCR. And right. old people don't know shit about technology. They don't. So you <laughs> buy your grandma a VCR in January, and if you don't fix that damn clock for years, it blink 12 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 12 o'clock. <laughs> That's who I am now. I am oh,
0: the
2: beginning
1: of old people in technology.
0: So let me ask you something.
1: <laughs>
0: let me ask you something. What's do you, repl- do you replace the light in the stove and the f- refrigerator?
1: Hell no. <laughs> you're you're just, you're okay. You ain't got no business in either one of them If you can't see <laughs> If you gotta look for shit in my refrigerator That means you don't know where it is Which means you didn't put it in there Take your ass upstairs till in the morning That's what
0: I said. I'm glad to have you here man um, uh, Of course love your comedy uh, We had last week uh, We had Tony Woods
1: that's my nigga right there. That's and my you know my what? Name.
0: I noticed y'all were on the it's same episode dude. of Dev Comedy Jam.
1: Bruh, we go back like that.
0: So we I wanna back just back get like your experience from Dev Comedy Jam as well.
1: Okay. Um, well, uh, if you don't mind, I'm gonna take you on a little ride, it's gonna be worth the trip. All right. Um what I was I I started out, I'm on the Sinbad side of the game. Sinbad All right. is my mentor. I learned how to do comedy on my own. Sinbad taught me how to do shows. So I always was cleaner and smarter than I was funny. It took me a while to get to to learn to speak the language of stand-up. And all that time, bruh, niggas handed me my head coming up. Mm. I didn't do dick, pussy, motherfucker jokes. So for me to do Def Jam, bruh, a shout-out to to Bob Sumner. Shout-out to Bob Sumner. Nobody expected me to do well on Def Jam. They thought I was gonna get booed. Because if you watch my set, I, I've been talking, I've been talking intelligent pro-black shit since I touched the mic. And everybody, everybody was kind of, we don't know how this one gonna go. Because that's the truth. In front of black people, in front of and no, I can't say that. In front of the niggas, <laughs> I have two types of shows. Either they want to carry me out on their shoulders into the street, or they want to throw my ass in the fucking street. I don't have okay shows. So, I was confident. I knew where I was. But I knew I knew that there was a bunch of people not necessarily rooting for me. I ain't gonna call their names, but who I will call Bob Sumner, Warren Hutcherson, and Tony Woods. Tony Woods was my man from the jump. He's right, dude. Come at this shit the way you come at it, man. Don't even, don't even trip. Don't, don't. You, you gotta dance with the girl you brought. Exactly. Whatever, whatever got you here, don't abandon that now for some new thought. That new thought isn't tried and tested. This is not time for that. This is Jeff Brown's greatest hits, and I think that's uh, that's something we all need to learn. Is uh, whatever it is the Creator has given you, when you stand on that, that's enough.
0: That's good. That's great. So, uh,
2: so, so. Uh, I used to my, you had shows where you, where you carry it out. You want to get thrown out, but how'd you handle that? Like, as far as like, like handling hecklers or, or bad shows, whatever that you had experienced, how, how'd you handle that? Bounce back from it?
1: Well, uh, one, there, there, there's a number of ways, but do you do stand up by any chance? No, sir. Okay. What, uh, uh, what is it that you want to do? And I'm going somewhere with this. I'm going to ask you a question. What is it that you want to do with your life? What do you want? Uh, uh, what What do you see is your pull? What did the creator put you here for? What is your passion?
2: Uh, more like an athletic standpoint, personal training, um, helping kids Beautiful. out. Yeah.
1: Beautiful. Then we can go straight to baseball. If you are a professional baseball player and you strike out Seven times out of 10, you're a fucking millionaire. Because you're hitting at least 300. Comedy don't work like that. Comedy to be successful for the amount of time that you are on stage, you're supposed to be hitting 10 out of 10, 10 out of 10, 10 out of 10. For me, I learned early. This is batting practice. I'm going to have to do this shit over and over, and over, and all of, and, and this is me using senior words about a junior moment. I didn't have these words back then, but I had these thoughts. You people are a cumulative representation of this moment, and that is all. Whether I get a standard ovation or I get chased in my fucking car, this is about now. And mm. all life is is a series of right now laid on top of each other. Sad. And if I focus on this this right now that's over there or this right now that's over there, I'm going to miss the right now that's right here. Mm. And the right now that's right here is when you fuck up, when it don't go your way, bro, that's lesson time. That's lesson. You either win or you learn. Now, if you don't win and you don't learn, then you lose. Mm. So that's that's. And I didn't have those words, but I felt that it was burning in me. There was no way I was not going to do this shit. I loved it. Um, I the one of the worst things in the world that could happen to me happened early on in June of 1986. Um, I went to the comedy. I was in the Marines at the time, and my friends kept going, "Oh God, damn Brown, you're so fucking stupid, man. You need to go. Uh, you need to get on stage." So they dragged me up to the comedy store on a Monday night. It was the uh, amateur night. And in them 3 minutes, bro, I was golden. Mm. I flamed them. I flamed them. My first 3 minutes on the on the stage, I was a beast. It was the next 3 minutes and the next 3 minutes and the next 3 minutes to the tune of 5 years grinding hard before I could make a nickel doing it before I got on TV at all, um, and getting booed after that. And a lot of times I, I got booed because I took risks. If you never get booed, you never kill. Oh, you do okay, you do all right. But if you don't have people wondering what you're doing, then I have to wonder what the fuck are you doing? Because you just up there coloring. You're not making art, you coloring pictures. Right. You take somebody else's. That's where you'll see somebody take a joke, and I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start doing something called Jeff Brown. You tell me, where I take celebrity comedians doing what is supposed to be their joke with the date, and then I'm gonna go back 15 years ago and find a piece of me on TV, and you see me, and you tell me, mm. and I'm talking the biggest names doing it. Wow, a lot of cats. A lot of my jokes uh, packed up and left town without me. A lot
0: of them. And I I know jokes, like people taking jokes, that's a big thing. Um, Mm -hmm. When when did you actually get a chance to witness someone like close to you who was basically shattered career-wise from not being able to do a joke that they did? Never. Okay.
1: Never. I can't name one. Okay. Now, remember, this is my class of. Cedric the Entertainer, D.L. Hughley, Steve Harvey, Bernie Mac, uh, uh, Tony Woods, Joe Torrey, Guy Torrey, uh, uh, Bill Bellamy, um, Ricky Harris, uh, 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 what's called, Ricky Smiley. Uh, that, that class of, that late 80s, early 90s class of, bruh, with all the stealing, with all the cutthroating that was going on, them with some talented fucking cats, man.
0: Right. Talented
1: cat.
2: His name and them names. I'm like, dang, that was only one class. And that's bro, the nineties. That's,
1: that's the nineties, bro. The, 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 there is. I, I guess I'm gonna have to do it. There needs to be a movie, a a stylized, almost documentary movie about that time in black culture. Because to me, the music, the acting, the comedy, the yeah. dance,
0: sports. The,
1: at their fucking, it, it maybe maybe they were at their pinnacle because I can't I can't shit on the '40s, I can't shit on the '50s, but I can <laughs> say that that after that, God bless y'all, man. After that, and I really believe again, uh, it's more of a a, a social commentary because uh, when 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 people talk about how the generation after me is lost, you got to forget that some motherfuckers took their fathers in mass, locked them up, and left them away from them. This is going to reflect in your art. This is going to reflect in how you treat your women. This is going to reflect all these things that society does not like about black people are absent if we are unmolested. And I hate to get on my, my other shit, best just, my just get on my pro-black shit right now, but that's really how I feel about that.
2: That's all right. I just actually brought that up because that's that's something in that any type of entertainment that we kind of look over to, in the black fathers. Like we we never know that playing in a lot of roles
0: in entertainment, comedy, um, sure. comedy, sports, etc. Like, sure, sure. So sure. you you mentioned actually starting out opening for Simbad. Um, mm-hmm. How did you how did you get in contact with Simbad?
1: Okay. Um. Aye ay. Uh, first, um, you know, like I said, I started in 1987 and I knew, man, I, I I was never really a foul-mouthed dude, ever. But I knew I had something funny to give. And I knew I had a certain way that I wanted to give it. And I had seen Sinbad a few times from a distance. And then he came to the Riverside Community Center, or uh, uh, no, Riverside Convention Center, excuse me, out in uh, uh, the Inland Empire here in LA, uh, like like about an hour from LA. And I was living out there, dude. When I saw that dude on stage, go out here and mash these people for ninety minutes straight and never say damn. I mean, don't let them fucking breathe. I was like, I got to do that so I just kept grinding man I kept grinding I kept my head down until I knew and, and I'm, gone, I'm gonna get there I knew I wanted to be I wanted when I got off stage for people to go who the fuck was that so I didn't I, oh, I would go everywhere bowling alleys uh, 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 churches anywhere other than the big clubs until I knew my shit was tight so every time they saw me Pow, pow, pow. And uh, I wound up getting the attention of the manager of the Melrose Improv in 1992, which at the time was the hottest club on the earth. Mm -hmm. And uh, dude started managing me. So I went from, basically, I had done Comic Strip Live, which was a very hard show for Black dudes to do. Evening at the Improv, very hard show for brothers to do. I had done those, but I hadn't really pushed through until I won the Bay Area Black Comedy Competition and Star Search, back to back, which was right around that death jam you saw. Okay. Uh, things didn't work out with my manager and I was standing and I had Marcus King and Mark acted, Sinbad's brother, clamoring to management. It was, I feel sorry for Marcus. He didn't have a fucking chance. Because I got to get to this nigga right here. So I sat down with Mark, him and uh, his partner at the time, Andre Wiseman. And they go, look, what do you want? I said, okay, I need to make this much money. I can make this much money by myself. I need y'all to make me that much money. We're going to let TV and film take care of themselves because that's what y'all doing. But most importantly, I got to go on the road with Sinbad. They look at each other like, shit, that's easy. So three weeks later, I'm in Vegas with Sinbad. I do my little funky ass 20 minutes and run, not walk around the curtain watch. I'm watching this nigga, just a fucking alchemist on stage. So after the first show, I go, bruh, I want you to teach me how to do this. He goes, no, you don't. Yeah, I do. No, you don't. <laughs> so I, I'm hounding him every night. He go, okay, so like before i I'm I'm on, I'm on the road. I was on the road with Sinbad for four years. He said, okay, we was out doing about 35 dates. He said, All right. Tomorrow night before the show, come in and dress the dressing room with the dictionary. So I come in there next night. He flips the book open to A. His finger hits aardvark. He says, say aardvark three times tonight. Go. So I'm racing through my head trying to figure out, what the, uh, can I replace aardvark in a joke? Can I make up a joke about aardvark? Next night, B, C, D. Then he goes, all right, tonight, I want you to go up there and don't move your left foot. All right. Next night, your right foot. Next night, stand on the left side, side of the stage, don't move. Stand on the right side of the stage, don't move. Then one night, he goes. You know all this shit you've been doing? Put it together. I'm like, this motherfucker here was just trying to free my mind. He was trying to free my mind. And if you ever get a chance, dude, if he ever come anywhere near you, go see Sandbag. That dude is a samurai, dude. Uh, I I can easily say, I got my black belt from him. I can easily, that's my cap. So, okay. yeah.
0: Because of age, that was the first full set of uh, comedy that I was able to see. His uh, Right, right, 90, right, right. His 1990 uh, brain damage that was on HBO.
1: Exactly.
0: And it, it's actually very underrated. I, I loved uh, the whole set, basically. Dude,
1: uh, okay. Uh, if Sinbad's watching, I'm going to tell this story and then enough about you, you high yellow motherfucker. He said, oh, he's militant, too. Don't <laughs> don't let that, don't cuss him through you. Sinbad's a thug. Anyway. <laughs> uh I was on the road for him for his son of a preacher man, HBO special. Okay. So we kind of doing these shows and we learn, okay, we're doing he's doing 90 minutes of material that he's that he's going to use in the show, but HBO's only gonna air 60 minutes. So you're gonna do two shows, 60 minutes of this, and then 30 minutes and 30 minutes of some other shit, and then they're gonna cut that together, right? So we, we know what we're seeing. The night of the show, I'm warming the crowd up. I do my little funky bullshit. I get out the way. They start the music up. Sinbad comes out. These people lose their fucking minds. They sit down. Sinbad goes into it. And we watching him. It's me, his, road, uh, 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 his security, and his brother, Mark. We sitting there. We watching it. So we kind of know how the jokes go, because he's been killing with this shit. All of a sudden, he looks down. The lady in the front row with a cast on. He said, what happened? She said, I broke my leg skin. Nigga in front of the HBO, God, and everybody else. Sinbad does. Ten minutes on her fucking leg that destroys his fucking... I'm like, this is... I, And it's fucking with me, because I know this nigga is making this shit up now.
2: <laughs>
1: mm. Nigga, I've been on the road with this nigga for months. I've never seen this shit. He doesn't write anything down. He doesn't... He'll be talking to you. Yeah, man, beats. I love your music. No, no, ladies and gentlemen, Sinbad. All right, I'll be right back. <laughs> for ninety minutes, and then come back and be talking to you, and he'll talk your fucking head off. Uh When you, the, yeah, you cap this off. Whenever you see me on stage and you see me kill it, I'm doing a horrible impression of Sinbad. Oh wow, that's it. <laughs>
2: that is- Take a lot of guts, man. To homage to him like that, too, man.
1: Man, I gotta give it up. You had to give it up to the dudes. That's uh, KRS talks about this. He said that nothing a black man does is blessed until he honors his ancestors first. That's what pouring some out for who ain't here. That's what when you see uh, uh rappers back in the day. What's up, Brooklyn? Yo. You start throwing out niggas' names. People ain't there. Rest in peace of so and so. Yeah, I am. I am paving the way for what I am about to do. With the grace and honor of my ancestors. Mm. So always, bro. Find somebody who came before you to respect and watch how your shit grow. Right.
0: Oh so
2: yeah. that, as far as inspiration, like what kind of. Who inspired you or what inspired you to actually get into comedy? Uh,
1: like I said, man, my buddies in, in in the military, I was, okay. I was always smaller than everybody. When I, when I went to school, I never went to, I went to the sixth grade for two days. And I got a double to the seventh. They really wanted to put me in the ninth, but socially that would have been fucked up. So uh, <laughs> until... I got put into martial arts school. My only defense was the fact that I, I read and I was smart and I could use my mouth and I was sarcastic. And out of that sarcasm, I could pull humor. And one day I never forget him. Shout out to Keith Winding. This dude named Keith used to beat my ass on a regular uh, in, the, in the seventh grade. And one day I was just tired of it. You could tell, you could tell fight circles in my neighborhood. By the way, the candy wrappers was on the ground. There were so many of them. they would be a little circle of candy wrappers. Somebody got their ass whipped right there about 45 minutes ago. They, they, that's the way my house. <laughs> my, my, I grew up on the south side of Chicago. Oh, nigga, right. like, We didn't do nothing but get them up. And so I'm, I'm in the fight circle in the middle again. And uh, I go, okay, Keith, ain't nothing I can say to get out of this. This was two days after parent-teacher conference night. He said, nope. I said, so whatever I say, you're going to whip me up anyway. He said, yep. Yeah. I said, well, then I'm going to talk about your mama like the big, ashy, barefoot bear she is. And them niggas exploded. Because Every- <gasps> she was big and ashy. And she had just came the parent-teacher conference night. And I saw this explosion. And I turned around right in time to get my nose broke. But it was worth it. It was worth it. I was like, wait a minute, this funny shit works. <laughs> <laughs> this shit, this is some power to this. And right. I started cultivating my funny bone and cultivating it and fucking around with it. But my first love to this day is music. Mm. My, to this day. That's that's how me and Beats connect, man. Right. This music shit. I, I can't get away from it. I love it. Uh I'm working on an extremely funny comedy album with funky ass beats as we speak. That um mm. But yeah, comedy is... I, I love it, man. I love it. I i don't think I'll... No. I know. I'll never leave it. I just had to do it different because the business model is fucked up. Yeah, It's yeah. a real fucked up business model.
0: Now, speaking about, of course, Chicago, you got Corey Holcomb, uh, Deion Cole, Ho, D-Ray Davis, all the My great comedians man. from uh, Chicago. Uh, cool. How competitive was it in that uh, area with comedians
1: um, from what I understand very now understand this I always rep Chicago uh, I've had people do it I had my mother try to do it when I was young because we lived in a couple of other states for a minute uh, I didn't do Chicago I didn't start stand-up in Chicago I was in the Marine out here in California and I got out in October and in Chicago, it was 11 degrees, and here it was 78. I was like, yeah, you know what? I just spent <laughs> too many Christmases and flip-flops. I'm going to make this shit work. <laughs> and I didn't go back. So I started here. Right. But I knew, I know of uh, uh, the comics who started in that area. The late James Hanna, the best writer. Bro, I ain't never seen a writer like that. My best friend uh, started in Chicago, uh the, all the cats at Bernie Mac, Evan Lionel, um, Duran Howard, I'm just a uh, uh, What's my man's name? God damn it, uh, Robin uh, Harris. Oh no, no, Robin, not Robin Harris. Uh, Leon Rogers. Jesus Christ, that dude's funny. Bunch of funny cats out of Chicago because comedy is paying over time, and the Midwest has had plenty of time to push out plenty plenty of pain to black people. That's why you see so many comics come out of Chicago. That's why you see so many of us come. uh, um, That is the void that you feel in most Caucasian music is that you motherfuckers ain't had no pain. So I can't hear it in your music. Mm. That's why it don't make me move. Which is why you have to borrow from us. (laughs) The people who you gave the pain. Exactly. So, yeah, that, uh, yeah, I I didn't, it was very competitive. It was a competitive period for black comedians uh, from this place. There were very, uh, you have to thank cats like Bob Sumner, uh, uh, the Stan Lathans of the world uh, that brought around Def Jam because honestly, bro, there was no place for this thing we call black comedy and and for a long while i didn't like calling comedy black because i didn't feel that my comedy was black i felt that i'm a black man that's funny and to me the reason i didn't like to put it in a box because it was the box i would deal with when i would go to the improv and the laugh factory and the comedy stores and the funny bones where they would like to the, the 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 mental energy that mediocre white boys would put on it is that Jeff is funnier than me because he has high energy. So the minute I could do it, I used to, I would wait to hear the words high energy. And I would go out and go, I need you to watch this. I would go out and sit on a stool in one spot and not move and wreck shop from right there. It's not the energy, bro. It's the melanin that connects me to spirit, which connects me to earth. That you don't have. So you wondering where this shit come from. It comes from the same place the you the No Look Pass, the Saxophone Solo, the Guitar Solo, <laughs> Prince, oh, all that shit come out man. the same cauldron of funk. All
0: right. Got some, follow?
2: I was saying, uh am some of how the comedy, how was changed as far as this generation, man. Like, what advice? And we had Free Love on here a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I was asking, as far as what advice would he give to um, the new generation of comedians coming up? You know, because you came, like you said, you came from a, a cutthroat class. You know I'm saying, mm-hmm. so you, Bruh. You, know, you we know it's different right now. As far as uh, you know, it might be a little bit more friendly right now. So, what, what advice would you give to the new generation of comedians coming up right now? Uh, one.
1: I'm gonna give you the same. I would give them the same advice that I was given by uh mark Lamell, who used to own the improvs he had a uh something called new faces this is where this is one of the places i got my start yes it's a very important story um i got my start really building the career end of, of comedy through the improv mark Lamell had this thing called new faces where he would come, he would have you come down and he would promise you three minutes. He would give you a date to come and perform and three minutes he would watch you and you were guaranteed that an influencer was going to see you. Mm -hmm. And I remember it, this was October. My three minutes was in February, and he opened it up with "Welcome to comedy. Comedy don't owe you shit. You owe comedy everything. Whatever your baby is." Oh no! I'm getting no! No! I'm getting out of! I'm getting out of! <laughs> out of secret. So he says. He says comedy don't owe you shit. You owe comedy everything. You owe it your time. You owe it your effort. And I'm going to give you this this, uh, date. And in this time, you're going to be on stage. People was pissed. Man, I'm going to wait all the way to March. (laughs) Dude, I was so happy to get February because that gives me a running start. Mm -hmm. You told me you was going to watch me for three minutes. Well, guess what I'm going to start doing? I'm going to start going around town to every fucking bowling alley, every church, anywhere they got a mic. I will make them kick me off stage at three minutes. I got three minutes to do my best show, so that when I do my best show in front of this motherfucker, it's going to be so much better than yours because you haven't focused on what it is you need to do. One, uh, and probably the most important, um, and I ask this of the both of you: uh, Do either of you have kids? Yes. Okay. How was how is your son or daughter, Beats? Uh my daughter's six. Your daughter's are beautiful. Yeah. Okay. When she I'm was old, two. I'm
0: old. I'm old. My daughter's seven. She'll be eight. And oh, oh what? Uh,
1: I got one thirty-five. What? Now yeah, yes.
0: my age on some days. <laughs> okay.
1: When she was two, uh, did you ever find yourself short on money?
0: Sometimes, yeah.
1: Sometimes. On those times. Did you ever come into your two-year-old daughter's room and go, here, I got some resumes for you. I got some uh, 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 some some shit set up. Here's a train schedule. You need to hit it at six in the morning.
0: Uh-uh. <laughs> no,
1: because she's your baby. Well, so is whatever you want to do. You don't make it work for you before it's ready. You work for it. Right. There's no shame in honest work to feed your baby. If you got to sweep a floor, if you got to stand security, fuck what these niggas is talking about. Feed your baby so it can grow into the monster that is Kevin Hart's monster, that is Eddie Murphy's monster, that is Dave Chappelle's monster, so it can feed you. you, you your dream is going to die because of the weight that you are putting on it. You're making your dream buy your mama a house already, and you don't have an hour to stand up. You owe your dream. Your dream don't owe you shit. That would be the first thing that uh, um, I would tell cats to understand. Two, take advantage of, but do not be swallowed by, the tools surrounding your craft. Take advantage of Instagram. Take advantage of all the social media available to you, but don't get swallowed up in that shit. Do the real shit, the shit that made you funny, the shit that cracks you the fuck up, whatever that is, do that. Right. But don't let this other shit. Uh, don't don't let this other shit get in your your, your brain housing group or the fuck you Yeah,
0: okay. So um we've we've gone through of course this whole pandemic. I've seen like two different posts uh coming from you. Of course, uh involving your health, you've actually changed your lifestyle sure. of eating and mm-hmm. you saying if uh, in the past you were still eating the same way, you probably wouldn't have survived through yeah, Corona. So- uh, and also, um, I wanted to actually touch on uh, the situation with DL as well. You worked with DL on uh, TV One. Uh, yeah, I just saw that motherfucker Wednesday. <laughs> How, how's he doing?
1: That's my man. He's good, man.
0: He's good. DL is good. Um, I'm going to tell a
1: little of his business. business. Uh, <laughs> good business. He's, he's watching what he eats more. He's exercising more. He's getting more rest. And I couldn't be happier because this nigga lives like Frank Sinatra. I've never seen anybody, mm. literally, and all that that implies, the best blank. And you can fill whatever the fuck you want, the best food, the best cars, the best airplanes, the best hotels, just the best, bro. And living... On that edge comes with a price if you don't back up after time, and it's good to see him back up. Okay. A little
0: bit. All right. So we're under five minutes. Um, wanted to touch on your social media uh, platforms, things that you're working on now. Um, also, being that you uh, do st- that you've done stand up, and we're not able to go to different comedy clubs, have you worked on new material?
1: I, you know what, bro? I got my 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 book is over to the left. My book. Uh, what the fuck is my joke book? Did I put it up? Let me see. No, that's music. Uh, I can't. Yeah, it's around here somewhere. Anyway, um, for me, I I, I stopped doing stand up so much because of the business model. Because, uh, I like to say, I've been doing stand up for thirty four years. If a man worked on a job dependably for thirty four years. You'd expect him to drive a few nice cars. You'd expect him to live in a nice house. You'd expect him to be able to take his wife out for dinner if you wanted, or uh, take her on vacation two, two times a year if you really wanted to. I'm not a millionaire, but I'm about right there. Where uh, stand-up has, or, or my talents have kept me in a place where the creator allows me not to starve. And I saw as everything goes in waves when the waves started to go down. and I took a good look at the fact that right now, the going rate for a stand up comedian is the same as it was in 1987 if you don't have a television show $1,500, air in hotel, and you're lucky to get that. Bro, I got kids, I got a wife, I got a living. I like musical equipment. That shit ain't cheap. You want a cheap hobby, watch birds. This shit's fucking expensive. So because there's things I want to do, I had to find other ways to to support myself and support my family. So I got into music, which was, again, my first love. I got into voiceover, and I got away from calling up clubs and begging them to underpay me. Mm. It, it, it's the, the the comic mind. That's a whole nother show. If you ever have me back on here again, I would, I'd love to, bro. You know, you ain't got to do nothing but holler. Uh, the the mind the 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 mind of the entrepreneur. The, ooh, shit! The mind of the black entrepreneur has been warped, and it, what you're watching is the straightening out of the black mind. And it's gonna take a while. We are gonna be old. Your 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 grandkids are gonna benefit. But
0: right now, we got to go through this bullshit. Right. All right so your social media uh, uh, platforms, where can people reach?
1: Okay. Um, one, please, this weekend, every weekend, giraffe balls. Uh, I live stream to YouTube uh, 8 o'clock L.A. time every Sunday. Um, I get high as giraffe balls. <laughs> and, uh, I live stream from my studio, do beats, give out advice um, Two. Uh, every Monday, the Zoe What Morning Show. You see me with Zoe Williams. Right. Tuesdays and Wednesdays, the DL Hugley Show. If you're trying to get at me, at GB Funny Style. At GB Funny Style is uh, the Twitter, uh, Instagram, and then just plain old Jeff Brown on Facebook for old
0: people. All right. I'm glad yeah. glad you're to here. Uh, too bad the aunt wasn't here, but it's today is his wife's birthday, so still oh, look. look. Send his wife a <laughs> shout out. <laughs> <laughs> but thank, thank yeah. you, for, thank you for being on. We love to have you back again. Yes, sir. Appreciate it, Mr. Brown.
1: Yes, sir. Nice to meet you there, Young Buck. What yes, you doing sir. with your what you what you rocking? What you rocking? You uh uh uh, you, you got the dance? But what you what's going on with the waves, pimp?
2: <laughs> hey, uh, hey, they, they don't stand by right now, man. They on repair right now, man. Oh, they on
1: okay? You got them? You got them?
2: Yeah, the yeah, all right, yeah. I've right. yeah, been, been slacking lately, man. But they we going we gonna get back on schedule though. Cool, cool,
1: <laughs> cool, cool, cool. Thank yeah. you, young lions. Um you, oh ask, you. ask Uncle Jeff at Gmail if you have anything that go for both of y'all, man. Um uh, you, you need you need some right. uncle advice, I'll give it out. And it makes sense. Go All find John cool. Stop Me when I lie. Um right. so yeah, yeah, I, I lend that to both of you Thundercats, man. Thank y'all so much.
2: No bro. I appreciate Thank it big you. time, man.
0: Uh, all right, we record. Welcome to the Whatever Podcast. Got my man Solo. What it do? What it do? And Andre is out uh handling husband duties. Yeah, yeah, we we all know how it is, but
2: <laughs> yeah, Oh, it.
3: I can hear you now.
2: Yeah, we can hear you, cuz. What's up, man? We got we got Arthur, Tony Michelle, author of. <coughs> of the I'm saying, the Chronicles of Tori, of Tori Lane, Chronicles 1-5, she got about five books out right now, published, man, so, anything I missed, cuz, like, what's up? want to introduce yourself also?
3: Oh, you got it all.
2: Got it all? All right, man.
3: Yeah. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. I don't know why mm-hmm. it says iPhone, I can't change it, I'll change it in a second.
0: Okay.
3: Yeah, i it's dark, so I'm trying to put my uh ring light up so you'll be able to see me.
2: Oh, that's cool. Oh, you know, Sometimes, Zoom, you can set your own camera. It's, it's a lot to go with that, too.
0: So how did you get started writing?
3: I've always had a nice, huge imagination. I've been writing stories since I was like six.
0: Okay. Nope.
2: All right, so that that kind of inspired you to start writing. What kind of what what inspired you to start these chronicles in the series with with Tory Lane? And Money is the motive?
3: Don't get Tory confused with Tory Lane's. You said <laughs> Tory Lee is not Tory Lane. She is not. Well, <laughs> no.
2: When I read the book, that's how that's how I read the name. I read I say Tory Lane, but I'm glad you corrected. Me.
3: It's
2: Tory Lee. <laughs> Tory Lee. So.
3: <laughs> Her name is a combination of what I would have named my my daughter if I would have had daughters, but I have all sons, and my best friend was murdered, and her last name was Lee. Okay. So that's how I came up with Tori Lee. So it's like an ode to my um, former best friend that unfortunately lost her life due to domestic violence.
0: Okay. Sorry
2: to hear that. going on, especially society. I didn't even know that. to Be honest with you.
0: Did that inspire some of your uh your subject matters in your book as well?
3: No, it didn't. Actually, it was just only the name.
0: Okay. All
2: right. As far as like, have you ever um been writing your books? Have Did you ever experience writer's block? And if you did, like, how'd you get through it?
3: Um, I have writer's block right now. I'm on my sixth book. And it is hard. Um, I can't concentrate. Everything is corona. Um, A bunch of deaths in in social media. It's very hard to write. I have a serious writer's block. Um, Prior to this, I would get writer's block and I would just read. I like a lot of um, European horror, British horror. I would read British horror because I don't read urban fiction books when I'm writing. I don't want to subconsciously take anything from anybody. So yeah. I go all the way to the next genre and I read British horror, but I haven't been able to do so since this started. All
2: right. I, I read a part of the book, man. It's a lot, a lot of drama, man. Like, I said, I got it for Ken. I mean, she loves the drama, so she loving the book right now. And she just on the first one right now. So,
3: <laughs> so what's drama? Tell
2: me what's drama, and I break down the drama for you. All right, drama to me, just like okay, we 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 see Tory Lane, and just as far as like, okay, she's getting the money, and then she—I don't want to spoil the book for everybody. As far as she's cheating on her man with the other dude, <laughs> as <far> as, <laughs> I'm saying I'm will put out that much as far as the book. So I mean, in, in your mind, what do you think drama is? Okay. In my um, mind, it seems like she's bringing, she's bringing a lot of drama to herself already.
0: Uh, I, I, yes. hear, I hear entanglement within that context.
3: Oh, no. <laughs> oh, yes, there's a lot of entanglement. But uh, <laughs> like Jada, Tori's very honest about her entanglement. Yeah. <laughs> um, the Oh, my God. I, the inspiring point to that is I was in a similar situation and um, I don't think there's rules to love. If you're with someone and they, they weren't boyfriend and girlfriend and then you meet someone else and that's who you like, that's just who you like. And we, I hate when people say, Oh, that's not what it is. Yeah. It, you would absolutely do that. People do it all the time.
0: Right. Yeah. I, I have the same theory um, about when I used to uh, be employed, a lot of people say, well, you always getting a good job. And I'm like, well, when I'm working, I always look for a job anyway. So it's kind of like the same thing. If you're with somebody and you're not really exclusive, you're still looking for somebody at the same time. Would you say that?
3: Correct. You're able to move freely. And that's what she did. I mean, I don't think she meant to move freely, but that wasn't the source of her drama. The source of the drama was just a bad decision. She had plenty of opportunities to say no.
2: Okay. All right, where'd you so, get this? Oh, go ahead. My bad. Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going I was to ask you another question, but you can finish what you were saying if you want.
3: I think I was about to lead into what you were going to ask me, so go
2: ahead. I was going to go into as far as the inspirations of the characters in the book. Like, where'd you get that inspiration from? Like, because, you know, you got, I mean, you got the Chronicle, you got five books out right now. You know what I'm saying, so that, that goes, that takes a lot of imagination. So. <laughs> As, as inspiration like where'd you where'd you get the inspiration for
3: so when i started writing the story i don't like cliches and taboos um and i wrote towards my environment it would be this would have been so cliche if Tori would have been a stripper and am i echoing no nah, um, okay if Tori would have been a stripper and aria would have been a drug dealer you would have immediately read this book and be like, just the same thing we always go through in urban books." Well, we live in tax fraud city, so I felt mm-hmm. like outside of a um I can't get out out of a drug dealer and a stripper. The next person that has that amount of money to give is someone that's doing tax fraud. So, I just was like, I'm gonna speak to my environment and what's going on around me.
2: Right. Yeah. As far as characters in the book, who can you, who you think you can relate to the most? Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> what's going so, on? <laughs>
3: each character, well, obviously, if I said none of them, I would be lying because they are all a figment of my imagination. Each character um, does have a little representation. Of uh, me somewhere in there, even the male characters, yeah.
0: And when you actually look at um and some of the movies that actually started from books, do you aspire to do something in that uh same lane?
3: I don't see it as a book, I actually want to be a scripted series, more like reality, uh, reality TV based. Okay, I think Biblical Fox. False- did that one time and it didn't really catch on. I think she was ahead of her time with reality TV. I forgot the name of that um, one show that she did. And I I
0: know the show you're talking about. I can't think of the name either.
3: Yeah, she was ahead of her time and people really weren't into dramatic um, reality TV. I don't think Love and Hip Hop had really taken off at that moment. But I I don't think that you could fit that in a movie. It would have to be extremely watered down, censored. Like that movie would be, uh what's the censored NC17? <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> right cuz we got we got a lot of stuff that they hit. Um the airway as far as Nick Cannon, uh, uh Jada Pickett Smith, Meg the to uh Tamir Braxton, whatever, as far as all the drama going around now. I'm saying, do you see like drama in the world like you? Is there any way you could like incorporate in your books? Like, I'm saying, not taking everything that's going on around them, but like taking like a piece going on around them and you could like help that as far as your writing goes.
3: Um, that's a good question. Look, with Jada and I didn't really follow, follow, I cannot speak today. I didn't really follow the Jada Pickett and... August Asenia, and Will Smith story, it was not new to me. I follow a lot of gossip bloggers. So this is stuff I've done a year ago. And then we know that the Smiths are not the traditional couple. They don't have traditional marriage vows. And we know that. So why this was a shock to the whole world, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't get it. So I didn't feel like jumping on the, oh, my God, I'm so shocked. No, what are we shocked for? And then Jada was not being very transparent. And one thing I've always been is accountable and transparent. So I didn't really want to hear what she had to so say. They're not being truthful.
0: All right.
2: I know. As far as seeing that red tip of thought, man. Like we we never addressed it yet. But when I seen I, I seen them more like like Will went up there like man, I really gotta do this, man. Like like Jada, you slipping, man. You can't control your hoes, man. So I got yeah. I got to go here and explain myself now. Like- <laughs> Yeah. I mean, we can
0: talk about it if you want to. If you if you want to talk about it, we can talk about it. Cause we haven't touched on it. Yeah, that
2: that's that's the way I kind of seen it. Like Will was like, like they had the red table talk, blah blah blah. I mean, we all, we all know Hollywood. I mean, it's 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 a crazy entity itself. You know what I'm saying Hollywood's a crazy entity itself. So we it, it's all types of stuff that going over there. So I mean, it's it's probably hard to be faithful to Like we we not really seen a a Hollywood couple. Uh, Oh, what's up, Cuz? Like, we never seen a Hollywood couple really flourish like that long term as Will And Jada did, so I mean, I'm thinking like Will and Jada already had like, yo, this, this what's up? Like, we're gonna slip up every now and then, so we might as well just be about it have a open relationship about it. You know what I'm saying, but due to the fact that we that we're a known couple, like, I mean, Jada, you can't really slip up like that and let let this man put our business, put the business out like that. You know what I'm saying.
0: My theory theory on it was exactly how she explained it to where he probably fell in love with her. And it was to the point where even when Will said he was at a point where he was done with her, August was expecting her to leave him. And it got to a point where she was like, no, like, it's not, that's not the case. And, of course, when they asked him about the situation, he spilled the whole, the whole information. He, He let everybody know what was going on. And that's the part where Will should be mad because, it's like, if he's doing some sleeping around, they're not really talking about it. But on her end, he he's doing an interview about it, you know.
3: I didn't think that, um, I, didn't, I didn't see any of them as a victim. I know that Jada had to know that August was going to talk. They had been in communication. And... It was like Will had been cheating. We know he was with us, he's been seen with the sports illustrative model. Right. Jada's been rumored prior to August to have stepped out before. So it was just weird to see people like, oh my God, like they were this these couple goals and they're not. They've always been adamant about doing what they want to do to the point where their daughter is even interested in being in a poly... How do you say a polycystic relationship? Uh, yeah, so,
0: yeah.
3: Y'all let you know what's going on in the household. So I didn't follow it. I was like, okay. I just wanted to know who did August's hair. I liked
0: his... his <laughs> I did, I did, <laughs> in that situation, <laughs> Will probably, with all of his um, incidents, he probably never brought it home. That was the thing, because they were like taking pictures with August, and he was with the kids and all that stuff. So that's where probably it was a situation where it got to be uncomfortable for Will. You know what I mean? Because you can see where he's sitting down at the table and he's like, I can't believe I'm sitting right here. He's making faces that you only see Will make in movies. Like, he was sitting there looking up. up, up
3: uncomfortable because he got caught because all of this was going on because he allowed it. There's not, I don't care if he was in Egypt with... uh, It's uncomfortable because people know.
0: I think it's because everybody knows and it's kind of like, even with some people who feel like, Will did cheat around. You know what I'm saying? It's like, okay, but, you know, they not talking, but her man talking. The guy that she's with is talking. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like a situation where they got to come up front and explain what happened after, like, several different people had misinformation to the point where they were like, okay, he said it was okay for them to do it. And then he said they didn't say that. It wasn't no point of him saying it because she's in control of her body. So it's like, it's just, it's crazier because he talked.
3: I guess. I mean, yeah. the, the idea that a man allows another man to live in his house and to be around his children and his wife is, I think it has to speak to Will's character. and He didn't want people to know that he, he allowed it. Uh, yeah, because that's not the that's yeah. not a value that you put in your wife. If that's what's mar- if that's what marriage is like, I don't want it. And now he has to stand forth in this because uh, people that are open thinkers got to understand that this was going on. August is taking pictures in their house multiple times around them on the red carpet. Will allow this at the end of the day. So yeah. I was I just wasn't.
0: And that, that, that's what I was saying. Like I don't. I don't want people to confuse it with me saying. He's mad that it happened. He's mad that people know. Right. And he's uncomfortable yeah. with people knowing because he sat at the table and was like, he yeah, didn't want to be I, there. I, yeah, I think he was pissed off that he actually had to
2: sit <laughs> at the table and address it in the first place. Like, yo, why? why like, am I? You're
0: bringing yourself to the table. Why
2: am I here? Like, <laughs> I mean, but it's something that he, I mean, it's something that he had to
0: address due to the oh, fact exactly. that he got out anyway. So I'm waiting for the uh, red table talk with him and Dwayne Martin. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I had people that didn't believe that, and I'm like, you guys put celebrities on the on the pedestal as if they're not human. They're capable of anything that anybody else is capable yes. of. So, the that, none of that was shocking. I, I, you know, August Alcindia came out and said that they were performing rituals on him, and you know, the public completely shot that down. And I'm like,
2: wow, I didn't know. How did not- y'all
3: shoot that down? <laughs> yeah, he came out. He said it in the last it was right before he responded to Kiki Palmer and he said something about he was dealing with witchcraft, lies, treachery, and all of those things, but he overcame them. And he'll, he, he going to get back to himself. He put up a picture of when he was in a hospital right? and then what he's going through now. And, you know, he mysteriously fell ill with, with autoimmune disease and he was saying like, he's going through a lot of stuff and he didn't understand why. And when he broke it off with Jada, he is he ends up in ICU. He said she did witchcraft on him, they were doing rituals. So, oh wow, yeah, ain't nowhere.
0: What do you think <laughs> about the um, since you brought, brought up um, Kiki Palmer, what do you think about that situation between him and Kiki Palmer?
3: I don't know why these women acting like they're above being with August August. Asenia is a nice, how do you say his name? He's nice looking. We do know at one time he was like your next T-Pain. He was on Everybody Feature. He was moving around in Hollywood. But now that people are calling him crazy, you don't want nothing to do with him. But you taking pictures on the passenger side while he drives, letting people know you're with him. You don't let people know you're somewhere you don't want to be initially. So
0: I, I think a lot of people went at him a little unfairly for that because... She actually put herself in the situation by posting, you know what I mean? And it was kind of like you wanted to get that attention and now you want to make him look crazy. You know what I'm yeah. saying? It's a situation where nobody's going to defend him but him. So if he doesn't say anything, people are going to look like, well, hey, he's been doing that. He did that with Kiki Farmer. So it's like, no,
3: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> you know, but now he say some people are like, oh, well, he keep talking. Like, of course, he's going to talk.
3: I think a lot of people failed to realize prior to August coming out with this, he's always been well spoken, intelligent, and open minded. So, the way he spoke to Angela Yee is nothing different than the way he spoke in his own documentary um, going back to New Orleans. Okay, he made this prior to coming out with Angela Yee, so. All right. But people don't do investigation. They just run with it, you know, just like I've had people run with my books.
0: <laughs> people people it. people read the cover and that's it. Yeah, I mean that's how the world is anyway. So
2: I mean read the title. I like, I mean you see it on Facebook. People somebody put a title on, they don't even read they do read the whole article or the title. And they just read the title the, art, the uh, title of the article and just run with that. Like, oh <laughs> I gotta make
0: examples of that. The um announcer from the Judge Judy, for the, things, the announcer from Judge Judy died, and they just had Judge Judy picture on it. So a lot of people thought Judge Judy died.
3: Oh, uh, uh her bailiff.
0: No, the like, the announcer, I, the white, the, no, the white, the oh, white the guy that announced on the show.
3: I thought her bailiff died too.
0: No, nah, it was it was a guy. He was like eighty nine. It was an announcer that was on L.A. radio for years, um, and he passed and ended up. Uh, putting up articles with her picture on it but his name on it and all they had was from judge judy announcer passes 89 and everybody was like well damn was it Judge judy but it wasn't
3: wow right just read so yeah i just just didn't follow the jada in august i was like i don't know it just wasn't that interesting to me I, i just i don't know i'm not the um I'm not the first one to jump on a trend and I do I watch and listen to a lot of gossip blogs. So I find out a lot of stuff way before uh Facebook reports it because most people are most people in our age range are probably on Facebook versus Instagram and YouTube. So Yeah. I got all I'm,
1: my dirt
3: yeah.
2: Yeah, when I when I when I first heard about it, I was like, okay, like y'all didn't know there's an open relationship already? Like I mean, what's new? Yep. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to backtrack on you real quick. Uh, going about the book, man. As far as like, as far as your process of getting it out there, I'm saying, what was your process of getting getting your book out there? I'm saying the first book, "Money Is the Motive," the first part. Serious. What was the process, and what what kind of advice would you give people out there that's trying to get a book published out there?
3: For all the people that come, I get so many people coming to me in my inbox and say, "I want to write a book," and I'm like, okay. Did you write? <laughs> no? Oh, you got to write. Publishing is the last. That's the easiest. I would say writing is the hardest. Book cover. And pu- listen, publishing is a click of a button. You literally go on Amazon. I want to publish a book. You upload your documents. They shrink it down the size. You choose your cover. I mean, you choose if you want to be a 6 by 9 8 by 10 11 by 12 You click the link. They do all the stuff for you put your um, book cover in there and you send it off. That's the easiest process. Being self- I'm self-published. People ask me, well, why aren't you, you know, why you give the Amazon? Well, because I simply don't want to go to Rick's printing shop and buy my books. I don't want to have to buy ink. I don't want to have to pay for printing and then I don't to have to pay for I don't want to transport my things. I, I'm okay with. Um, I got a seventy with a seventy thirty deal with Amazon. Okay. That's, so I'm not up anybody else but Amazon, which allowed me to publish through other channels. But Amazon provided me with the IBSN number for free. I got my copyrights. Mm.
0: That's that's
3: what's up. That's the so. My advice would be to write. You, um, I started writing these books in 2012. Yeah. I didn't publish until 2016. I, you know what? When I started writing this, um, interestingly enough, I was having a miscarriage and I couldn't afford to take off from work. So I had to go to work, mm. dying, bleeding. And I was texting my wow. friend and she was like, Stop texting me and write it down. And I was like, Write what down? And I literally just picked up a piece of paper and a pen and I started writing. So as I would write the story, I would hand it over the cubicle to my neighbors. I was like, read this. And then they wanted more. And I would just, I wrote more. And as the further I got into it, I was like, I don't think I want to retype this. So I would start putting it in an email and I would just blast it out to them at the call center. And they wanted more and more. And I was like, well, you know what? Let me just put the whole story together. But I sat on it. I, I sat on it and I left it alone because it was initially called Confessions of a Drop Girl. How <laughs> so I know so that was cliche, <laughs> right? So um, right before grandma passed, she said, she asked me if I was still writing a book. And I was like, well, dang, she remember because I had talked to her about it and, you know, telling her what it was about. So when she passed away, it was something to keep me busy and the focus. So, you know, she passed away from Christmas. And I, um, I published it February 16th. I originally had Craig's birthday. Is it February 16th? 16th or 15th yeah i think i had it i had my date scheduled for craig's birthday and i might have missed it by a day or two based on what um, amazon did but that was my motivation i had left it alone i wasn't thinking about it um when i did decide to pick it up it was a lot you have to outside of writing of course you need an editor and things like that so with that being said i actually since quarantine i've gone back and i've republished my first book and I tried to clean up most of the grammatical errors. I cleaned up a lot of plot holes because as as the Mm. books go on you can see that my writing skills have went way up.
2: Yeah. Might as well put them all on I've been looking for the other ones on Amazon. I only seen the first one.
3: Why did you know what you have to go down and it says like it shows me chronological order, but you have to go down past the description. You know how it has other books that are in, that are similar? Yeah. There?
2: Okay. I check it out again man, because <laughs> and she reading it right now. She just like, I kinda spoiled it for her. I was like, you know, she got more books out right now. She's like, oh snap, so I know it's gonna uh, whatever she got going on is going to keep going on. So I'm like, yeah, my bad. But I'll go ahead <laughs> and read it for you. But it's it's definitely a good read, man. So because it's it's great having you on so anything you got to tell the people as far as your social media and what you got going on for the future
3: um i'm right now i'm really rebranding i had left i kind of left it alone i want to i want to read my books oh some people ask me about audiobooks let me just let my experience with audiobooks and why you rarely see urban books on audiobooks you know, yes, please.
2: Because I'm a I'm an audio, but well, I was an audio book type of guy. But I kind of moved on to actually reading. You know what I'm saying, but I I could I could the audio. I mean, like I said, we in a in a more convenient culture right now. But the convenience stuff,
0: I would get a book from celebrities, so it was always available for audio books with celebrities. Like I think the last book I got that was audio book was the Jennifer Lewis book. So. Yeah,
2: but I, I actually prefer reading it better because it it sticks to your mind more.
0: Okay.
3: Well, say I was on the fence with that. Well, I tried. Well, with audiobooks, here's the process. You put your book cover out there. You put the synopsis. And you take something from the book. And someone has to audition. Well, um, as you know, most audio um, commentators are Caucasian. urban books kind of just get (laughs) left out there you know I when I write my books although I use I don't curse that much and I don't speak slang I wrote my book in in a language that we can understand in our culture so we just get left out so I want to just read my books and put them on YouTube well I felt ill and I'm just actually feeling good today and I was like okay I haven't been able to get on YouTube and get all dressed up. And I just figured out when you asked me to come on the podcast that I can just do a voice memo, put a picture up, and then still put it up that way and make it more of an audiobook type. So that's what I want to do while I'm rebranding and also just um, shifting what I got going on because I was just known for money is the motive. You know, it's about tax fraud and sex and things like that. And I'm like, I really don't act like that. It's just a story that I told yeah. a lot of people don't know that I wrote a story dedicated to breast cancer survivors. Mm. I have a whole story out there called the Felicia Jordan story. Mm. Right. Yeah. But social media I am author Tony Michelle on Instagram, Tony Michelle on Facebook, Tony Michelle on Twitter. I don't know. I don't know my TikTok. I just got on TikTok.
2: <laughs> TikTok is the devil. Think so? Nah, I'm leaving. Hey, it's all about how you use it, just like every social media. Man. I've
3: seen some weird stuff on
2: TikTok now, but you know. Yeah, I mean, I've seen weird stuff on Instagram, Facebook, etc. It's all about how you use it, how you take it.
0: Exactly. <laughs> there ain't nothing wrong with
3: it. No, I, I just use it to put my books out. But I, my biggest thing is, I I, um, I don't know if you know, I had tried to make a trailer. <laughs> well, did you know that I was in a play? No, nah, I didn't. Yes, I, I was in the play, Stuck on Stupid, and it sold out in Tampa. The surrounding Tampa Bay area. I was the main character, and I felt like if I did it for um, April Cox, she's a nu- she's a New York bestseller author. Suck and Stupid is a really really good series. She has like I think she has six or seven to my Bye. books. Like trust me, she's really dominating the urban fiction area, um, urban fiction community in the Bay Area. So I was like, okay, I don't want to do a whole play, but I just want to kind of do a trailer and combine all of this all of my books and it just didn't work out so that wasn't for me and now next I want to do um, I want to put I, like I said I want to do like reality TV so if I have a commentator right somebody narrated to read the book like how dope would it be if you someone's narrating and then all of a sudden the main characters pop up on the Green screen on the sofa, like a confessional, telling their side of the story.
0: Yeah, that would work.
2: Speaking of that, you think about, um, as far as success of your books, you think about putting in some live action sometime.
3: What do you mean? As
2: far as like plays or incorporating it to a movie,
3: what I get a lot of I, I get a lot of people asking me about movies. I don't. If it don't feel right, I don't go with it. I don't.
2: Yeah, it's I mean, you never know. You mm-hmm.
3: never know. <laughs> no, I just don't feel like the right opportunity has come to me and it's not genuine. I can, yeah. I use my discernment whether or not it's genuine. Like, if you haven't read my books, but you just go by, you know, I'm popping on social media, then that's, you're not for me.
2: Yeah.
3: I you can't come you on to that. me with a visual more than what I'm already given in the, the pages. We, we can't work this out.
2: I definitely feel you on that. Right.
3: So that, I'm just trying to get over writer's block. I, I have no idea how to get past it. Um, this last book is very different. I do want to say people that write, especially fiction, you become those people that you are writing about. And I usually have to take a break. And I think I took too long of a break for the last book. So now I have to get to know these people or not. um. I took I took a chapter. I mean I guess other urban books do that too. I haven't I haven't read any, but my last book is going to speak from all the main characters perspective. So I have to become everybody versus where I was just writing from Tori's perspective. Now I have to get down into how the other characters feel, what's going on and what they were actually doing while she was thinking it was this.
2: Yeah. Dang that must be difficult, man. Like Clean yourself in somebody else's shoes, like, you know what I'm saying, I'm not gonna call you crazy. But I remember my coach used to be like, <laughs> like, you gotta, you gotta be a loop. When I was playing football, I said, you gotta be a little bit to the left now to to play this game. Like, like, you gotta you gotta be start thinking crazy. Like Michael Jordan he was like, all right, he was he, before you got in games, he had to imagine that somebody said something crazy to him for him to show up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, so I can imagine how it is like to get into another character in order to write those books. I mean, the more you talk, the more questions I got for you. Like, as far as the Valencia Jordan, but I'm I'm assuming where you got the uh, uh, motivation to write that book. But you want to tell people about that?
3: Well, with Valencia Jordan, so I am, as you can, as you know, personally, I'm very guarded and I'm very, I'm very, very careful of my emotions because throughout my little 39 years of living, I know people take advantage of you when you go through something. So when Uh, Our grandmother was getting sick, I stayed away from everybody, especially male companionship, because I know that not all, but some men will take advantage of you when you're in a, a weak spot or you're in your lowest. And that was probably the hardest thing I ever had to go through. So I didn't want anybody to take advantage of me. So when I wrote Valicia Jordan, I wrote it from a place of what it would be like trying to manage a love life as well as take care of a family member that is sick, as well as taking on the abuse you receive from other family members when you're taking care of someone and everybody else is being abusive. So that's why I wrote that perspective because I had zero, absolutely no male contact, no love life, nothing. I stayed away from everybody until she passed away, and a good while after she passed away.
2: Mm, yeah, that's deep. It's crazy how personal life could could kind of motivate you to. some stuff like et cetera writing a book like that but because i'm gonna let you go man you guys please check out her books man they all like she said they all on amazon money is the motive you know the torile chronicles one through five and valencia jordan she's real talented author man she's putting together real great stories so please check it out man
3: I'm going to have to send you the links and when um there's another money is the motive i forget the author's name but she has the same amount of books that i do the book cover looks different than mine um my books are way over there Uh, well here's my mask i made my custom mask
2: oh that's dope
3: (laughs) (laughs) so my mask my book covers look like this the other girl's book covers are black i believe so mine are in uh, chronological order, but of course it didn't get my book five, my book five, the tab, um, uh, matter of fact, let me just get them. That's easier. And I'm being so ghetto by leaning over during a podcast, but you did. this is my first baby. So when you see them, um, you know. Yeah, this is the second. This is the third, which is my absolute favorite. Mm. This, is, this is my baby. Here is the fourth, and then it changes on the fifth and the sixth. The fifth one is like this. Um, the sixth one will be an actual purple color, dedicated to lupus. Yeah.
2: Oh, what we'll made you change? What made you change the, we'll you change the uh, cover up a little bit like that?
3: Because I wrote this book from um, Juice perspective. This book is Money's the Motive Five. It's called The Juice. So okay. I had to become Juice. So this oh, is told completely from his side of the story. And now in book six, it, I tell it from um, the four main characters' perspective. So I'm taking on four more people, but I didn't want to change the cover. I just um, It's called Money's the Motive Six unfinished business so it looks like this but instead of this burgundy color it's going to be purple because that's the color of lupus oh. and none of my other books are purple well maybe this is a little bit but it looks a little bit different but yeah I changed it um, the person on this cover is actually one of my good friends and I asked her one day if I could use her picture and she was like yeah I don't care so that's dope. I let her read the book prior to me even getting close to publishing it and she liked it. And she was like, Oh, I'll do it. And so then I just think, you know, I figured when I was going to write from a male perspective, it was time to change it up a little bit, give her face a break and just do something different.
2: Yeah. Cause it's so hard to, it's so hard to see. Like, I mean, just the longevity of the books, just not to see it on the TV screen someday. I'm saying that's just my personal opinion. But.
3: Really, I, you know what? If for this book, um, even after I'm done with this, I've started writing a, the backstory to one of the main characters in the first two books. But I just left it alone until I finished this, the final book in that one. But I got it all mapped out. So this is going to go on for a little while. And they're all different. They're, each book has a different theme and a different consequence. But it all ties together. The first book is just, you know, I want to give a shout out to Tampa. I didn't. I wasn't trying to glorify tax, tax fraud. <laughs> and I get a lot of people asking me if I was copying off Rashia. No, I don't know her personally. I wrote this book prior to her even starting. To, I'm not going to say prior to her starting doing what she's doing, but prior to her gaining notoriety of what no. she was doing so that I could copy. I was writing this way before that because tax fraud had been around since like 2008 of <laughs> my knowledge so
2: yeah as we got we got less than one minute
0: left on this thing it's a it was Thank great having you Happy- tuning in to you choice radio we are here every saturday at 11 a.m Eastern standard time on youchoiceradio.com or the whatever podcast on spotify and apple or wherever you get your podcasts Thanks for tuning in. Follow DS News on Instagram and Facebook.